0: Good morning my name is bill i'm one of the elders here and someone challenged me to do this with as many ipads as possible so i took them up on it we'll see how it goes thanks kel i was talking to a young mother friend of mine and she was telling me about her young son who has um uh gotten into playing with the the pots and pans that's what he does every day he just kind of works his way over to the kitchen and starts taking pots and pans out of the cabinets. And that's the way he plays. And during this time, also, it's important to note that he's being potty trained. Well, he decided to combine the two. Um, he, was being, he was playing with his pots and pans, as usual, and had nature call. And so he decided to be efficient, and he knew not to go in his pants, So he went in the pot that he then dutifully brought to uh, his mom. But he, he peed in a colander. So, like, just missed it. It's important to understand the goal, right? It's important to understand the point of something. Otherwise, you wind up peeing in a colander. Um, Today, I want to start out with with the goal that, that I believe God has for us. And it's simply this, that God's purpose for you and for me and everyone you know is to have life, and it's a life in him, and it's a life abundant and everlasting and eternal. And his way about that is love. And this love we know is not a romantic love, it's not a feeling. Sometimes it's, it's not only not a feeling at all, it's, it's a feeling to not do. It's for someone that you don't care for, someone that you don't like, someone who seemingly might even go out of their way to cause you problems. And that even this person is through the power and life of God is worth the kind of love from you that would make you do things in order to nurture them and have them have God's life. And that's what we're called to. And that's a very special call. And it's something that I think is, is unique and not to be forgotten in, in all that we do. It's good to know the point. And that's the point, And that's the purpose that God has, his goal is life and his way is love. We see this through scripture. I'm gonna jump ahead here for a second. In this uh, 1 John 4, 9 it says, God's own love was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we would have life. His purpose is life his way is love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would entrust themselves to him would have this deep abiding abundant love because his hope and desire for you is life and his way is love. In When Jesus was talking with his disciples the night before he was to be betrayed, he, he opened this up for them and he explained to them what life was to be and what, what life had always been meant to be. And, and he said this, and I'm going to read this from John 15. He said to them, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. And now listen. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. What Jesus is explaining to his disciples, his friends at this time is He came to give life and a life abundant. The kind of life that you would have for yourself and the kind of life that would then spring forth more life that you would share with other people. And what he explains is that this is the life that we were always meant to have in God. And that the problem has been that we haven't had his spirit. And now it's time to the work that he was about to do on the cross, that he was going to have his spirit poured out on us. And to understand that this life can't be lived without him. That to try and do this, to try and love the way Jesus is describing, is like cutting off the branches of a tree and then expecting those dead branches to grow fruit. It's not gonna work. It was never meant to work that way. And this idea of fruit would have been very familiar to his disciples. Because it's this picture that even back from the beginning of the scripture God had used and and I don't know about you but for me context around the scripture is helpful context around anything is helpful whether it's uh, building a piece of IKEA furniture or cooking a recipe or putting together a Lego set I need to see what I'm heading towards because if I understand where I'm going then I understand a little bit better the way that I have to get there and so when, when Jesus is painting this picture of fruit for them, this is not some new idea, some new concept. From the beginning of the Bible, he knew, we were told that God had life for us and life so that we would bear fruit. In Genesis, those first pages, it says, God created everything. And he created a space for you and for me. He created a garden for people. And in this garden, people would have communion with God and communion with one another, and that in that there would be life, God's abiding life with people. And from that life, they would bear fruit. And, and we know, be fruitful and multiply, that was the command. And when people stopped trusting God, that relationship in that garden was broken. And, and not only was that relationship between man and God broken, but even the relationship between one another got messy. And and we know that God said to them, as a result, the things that you were called to do, the things that I made you for, are not going to work the way they were supposed to. When you you go to sow and to reap and to harvest, it's going to be hard. You're not going to bear fruit like you were supposed to. When you go to have children, it's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. These are pictures of bearing life. And he said, it's going to be hard. It's not going to work the way it was supposed to. And so God, being faithful after the fall in the garden, he called a people to himself, Israel. And he called them out of slavery. And he made a place for them. And it was a place where they were going to come and be and have freedom from fear and hope for a future. And God had them build a tabernacle, a place where God himself and his presence would dwell. And he would show his presence there by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and he would go with them. He would be with them. They were meant to have communion with God and with one another. And that in this life with God, they would bear fruit. And they would bear fruit for the nations. They were to be a light to the nations. But they broke to the trust. They fell away. They decided they could do things in their own strength. And they walked away. And, and the promise, they broke their promise and commitment. But, but God, who is faithful, didn't. And God seeing all that was going to oppress people, all that that the curse that sin and death was going to mean, and the way that we were unable to get out of it from our own, God himself comes. And Jesus comes, and he takes on that sin and death. And he takes on that broken relationship to himself, and he takes it to the cross, and he dies, and he's lifted up, he's raised again with life, so that we might have life so that he would establish what was broken long ago and that we'd have communion with God and communion with one another so that his spirit and his life might dwell in us so that we would have life and share it with other people. And Jesus, even in that time with his disciples, he points to a a further time still where he says, I'm going to a place that I prepare for you. In those pictures in the in the last pages of Revelation, in the last book of the Bible, it's a picture of yet again, a garden. And in that garden is that tree of life, bearing fruit every month, a different kind of fruit. Now I've expressed, I am no tree fruit expert, but from what I understand, uh, trees don't bear a different kind of fruit and they don't bear it every month. But do you see the picture that he's painting is, this is not just, Life. This is life abundant. This is life constant and and renewing. Life that's everlasting. And so this is the picture that God has given us. This is the picture from the beginning, from Genesis through to the end, this picture of life with God and communion with him where we would have life and through love would share that life with others. And it was this context that a man named Paul was writing years later, to a city in Galatia. Now, Paul was a man who, when he encountered Jesus, his life was so radically changed that he gave up everything that had been important to him and devoted himself to bringing the good news of Jesus and the hope that we have in him and the life. And Paul would go city to city preaching this, and sometimes he would write letters. Letters to the places that he had been or letters to the places he had hoped to go. And he would do this to encourage them or to maybe correct them in some ways and and this letter to the galatians is a very interesting book because normally paul kind of follows a certain kind of beat he kind of has a a routine where where paul does a greeting and he kind of gives you a hint about what's coming and then he usually goes on to encourage you for a little while and then he'll kind of like kind of nudge you at the end like you're doing great here are some places you could do better and and this letter to the galatians finds a very different temperament Paul writes the letter, he does the greeting, and then he just like jumps into it like he can't even help himself. He's like, what happened? What happened? He said, you were running well. I came and I told you about the life that you have in God. I told you about Jesus and what he did on the cross. And, and I hear from people, Paul is telling them, I hear that you're going back to having a set of rules apply to your life. I hear that you're you're taking the freedom and the life of the Spirit of God in you, and you're turning it into tasks. You're turning it into a religion that you just work through. And then you go about your day doing whatever else you want the rest of the time. And and Paul is saying, see, I I told you about this. I, I told you that you were meant for life and relationship, not rules. You were meant for communion, not tasks. Why are you going back to that? Why are you going there? I'm telling you how this ends. It ends with you trying to do everything in your own strength and lifting yourself up. And when you lift yourself up, everything gets ruined. Everything gets corrupted. You need to do this by the Spirit of God. And it was that context that Paul wrote these words. He said, by contrast, by contrast to you doing it on your own and in your own strength, By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at the harvest time if we do not give up. Paul is saying to them, you're going to use all of these efforts. You're going to invest this time and you're going to invest your life into something. Don't invest your life into rules. So to life. Invest your life in life with God. Invite the spirit to do his work in you, to create life. Invite invite the spirit to have a work together. Work together as brothers and sisters following this God. And then let this life that God has promised you start to bear fruit. Don't look to see who can outdo one another with rules. If you want to see what life in God looks like, here it is. It's love and it's joy and it's peace and patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he's not saying, now go ahead and look at this list and pick which one you're good at. And if, you're, and if you're good at one or more, then you're doing fine. If you're better at three or more, then you're doing great. And if you're good at all of them, then you're a liar and start. That's how he gets you. See, the, the spirit, the life that God gives us, the life that he pours out to those who entrust themselves, it starts to do all of these things. It starts to grow like fruit. It's this slow process of life taking hold and changing you. And that's what we're inviting God to do, is is to to come in and to abide with us, to come in and and stay with us like God intended in the garden when he abided with them, like God intended with Israel when he had them build this tabernacle and dwelt among them. And it's, what. It's it's a picture of what we see on Pentecost, when God comes and like that same pillar of fire that, that showed God's presence with the people in Israel, now we have Pentecost and people are seeing the small tongue of fire above their heads. God showing that his very presence is with people, making a home in them and abiding with them. And it's from that spirit that we have a chance of living this type of life. Imagine being the type of person who is always loving and always self-sacrificing, full of joy, ready to give, being patient and being long-suffering, ready to give even when you don't have it to give. Friends, it should sound exhausting. You should hear it and be like, "I, I cannot. But that's the point, we cannot. Because doing it ourselves would be like cutting off the branch from the tree and then expecting it to grow fruit. And what Jesus is saying, come and abide with me and me with you, and then we'll grow fruit. Abiding is hard. Abiding is letting someone move in. That's hard. Um, If you offer yourself, uh, offer your home to someone to stay with you, you would be very put off if they started to Mess with your stuff. If you rented a room to them, you would be shocked if they took down a wall or threw away something that was important to you. I know this because I've been asked to leave many homes. (laughs) But to invite God in is to invite him to be king. To invite him in a place in your life where he rules, where he has say, so that his life which is actual life might start to show because it's what you're called for see i when i talk about it being hard i think about me and my wife we're we're relatively newly married and uh you know we moved in and we had to adjust i i say and don't don't take this wrong this is meant for good marriage is a slow death it really is you come together and, and you, you look to die to what is important to you and start to put, make what the other person needs more important. And it's laying aside the things that you once held dear so that you might help the other flourish. And my wife and I, as we come together and, and live together, we, we start to do that for one another and it's hard. I'm probably better at it than she is. I, I'm just kidding. I'm just looking at her. <laughs> She's way better at it than I am. Um, we, we put the other first. And, and what Jesus tells us, which is amazing, is that when he comes in, he says, abide in me and I in you. Make the things that matter to me matter to you. And he also tells us the things that matter to you will matter to me. Cast all your cares on me. Let me know what you need. Pray to me. Let me know what's on your heart, where you're struggling, and I will will be there. I will work. I will act on your behalf because his goal for you is life. When we think about where we go with this, when you think about how do I have this life of God, how do I have this life that God has meant for me from the beginning, I would I would point your direction, I think one of the best places in the Bible that kind of lays it out, there are a few chapters in John, and it's John chapters 13 through 17, and I'm not gonna go through all of them this morning, but I'm gonna walk you through what I see there. Because it's it's not a formula, but I think there are things that if you look at that, what Jesus is sharing with his disciples, it's the night before he's to die, if you look at what he's sharing, there's life there. And the first thing he does is he tells his disciples trust me trust me entrust yourself to me now again this is hard I know for me I don't have all the answers I have moments of doubt I have questions I see things happen in the world that I it's like God where are you in this And so I don't want to paint this picture like trusting yourself is entrusting yourself to God is this easy step and everyone just do it. But my heart testifies for me that, that, that Jesus is God. And so for me, I have taken steps to entrust myself to him. And if you've never done that, or if you have questions about that, I'm so glad you're here. And I hope that you'll come talk to me or someone else after this service to understand why, we might, you might entrust yourself to God. But that's the first step. We entrust ourselves. And then we invite him in. We invite him in to abide with us. Again, not as a guest, not as a visitor, but we say, God, I'm entrusting that you are God. Be God of my life. Move in. Take down walls. Throw out what needs to get thrown out. A mistake that I've made, and I see others make too, is I think that we invite God in and we explain to him, okay, let's sit down now, God, Uh, I've taken an audit of my life. Here are the things I've decided that you can mess with. Here are the things that I think need fixing. Um, I'm kind, but sometimes too kind, so help me not be taken advantage of. Um, I'm, you know, here's some things that I probably shouldn't do, you know, I could do better at. I wish I didn't lose my temper so much. And we go through this laundry list of things that we'd like for God to do. Like, all right, go ahead and, and do this. And the thing is, we're not inviting him in as the help. We're inviting him in as God. And even to do that own, our own audit of what we think we need is problematic. And actually calls back to that religious undertone that we're trying so desperately to get away from and stay away from. But instead, we turn ourselves to God we turn our entire selves, we we repent and we say, here's my life, what would you do with it? I think you'll be shocked at the things that God picks versus what you might pick. I'm telling you, Jesus is much kinder and much more loving than you will be to yourself. I was once uh, in the car and uh, I don't know, praying, or I don't know how it worked exactly, but it just felt like a God moment. And, and in this time, I had this conviction, and it was a strange conviction, because normally when I get a conviction, I would feel like it's something that I need to stop doing. It feels like something that if I told you what I was doing, you would say like, oh yeah, you should probably stop doing that. That's probably not good. And it's, it's easy. It's kind of clear cut. And in this moment, I felt like God just, he gave me a conviction of joy. And he said, why don't you have... Joy in me. Why don't you take joy in me? And I was I was taken aback. I didn't even know what to do with it. This idea that God had a concern about my joy in him. That I wasn't walking around with with his life in me in a way that I had for myself or could even share with others. And I talked to a lot of friends about it, and it was it was interesting, and I felt like What a God who of all the things that I can think of that I need to change, and I have quite a list, I know me. It's not good sometimes, most of the time. All right, all the time. Um, Of all the things that he could go after, why joy? That's a good God. That's a God whose life, he wants to fill me with his life so that I would have this fruit and bear fruit and I was missing something. He's like, I'll fix the other parts. We'll grow together. But these are the things I want for you, this life. And so again, invite him to abide with you and trust yourself to him and abide with him. And as you do, commit to doing things his way. His way is love. His way is love. When, when you're wondering what to do or how to do it, put him first. Understand that the God who calls you and the God who created you and the God who created the life that you were to have said, my way is life, sorry, my purpose is life and my way is love. How does that impact what you do? How does it impact the conversations you're supposed to have? How does it impact the relationships that are struggling? How does it impact you as an employee or a boss where you live? How does it impact you as a parent? God. Show us how to live this life. Show me your way and commit to doing it. And if he's not telling you, then be still. Be still and wait. Sometimes we think, because we're we're not even expecting him to answer sometimes, and I'm very guilty of this, I think, all right, I'm going to just pray and check the box, and then I'm going to go do whatever I think is best. Instead of maybe praying and saying, like, let me wait on God. Let me not have that conversation that I'm worried about because I think it might boil over. Because if I have that conversation and it doesn't go well, then life has not come from it. So let me wait on God and ask for the words, ask for the time. Do things His way. And what He promises is that when we entrust ourselves to Him, when He will come in and abide with us, and He promises that even though it will be hard, just like we saw in the garden because of the fall, life will be hard, bearing life will be hard. But we know that with his spirit, if we commit to not growing weary and doing what is right, we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. And that's the call. So let us entrust, let us abide, let us commit to doing things his way, and let us go from here being people who have God's life in us so that we would know his life and his love so that we can also share it with others. Because that's God's purpose for you, it's his call on your life, and it's what you're made to do. Amen? Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for the life that you've given us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit Thank you that you, you come in, Lord. Thank you that although we can't even begin to fix ourselves, you promised to come and to fill us with your spirit so that these good things might come forth. These things, were that, that we would love to be, but can't in our own strength. And so we ask for your help now. I ask for each person here, Lord. I ask for just a, a refreshing of your Holy Spirit to come on each person, God. If someone here doesn't know you, Lord, I just pray that you would be with them. I pray that, that you would um, bring peace to their hearts, bring great conversations, and, and just show yourself to them so that they might know you and know your life. Lord, we praise you for all that you've done for us. We praise you for the work that you did for us on the cross. We thank you for rising again. We thank you that we're not alone. We bless and thank you now. In Jesus' name, amen.